Hey folks, SH1T coming to you live, drinking A&W Root Beer, having a rip-roaring time, putting together another podcast, second one in a week, thanks to the holiday weekend. Uh, we cover the recent poker tournament where I break even, California's trying to drop into the ocean, so that's always fun, uh, sports and news as we always do, and I catch up on some Frontline and 60 Minutes of viewing uh, and watching, so yeah, I get to veg out. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Back to the grind. I will see you Monday on the front lines, wherever that may be. Enjoy. I think everybody knows what time it is. It's poker quarter time. Uh, the notes I gave my, to myself were to play smart and aggressive. It's not the same concept or thought and theory, uh, even though I make a lot of mistakes uh, and a lot of good plays and bad plays in this session. The theory is not the same as the trips down to uh, the other poker club that I go to. Uh, the stacks are three times as deep. The blinds are very slow and the uh, uh, the jump of the blinds is not as crazy as the one local. So the local game I went to again, you get 50k, uh, knowing that after the first long break, the buzzsaw of the big blind Annie in the blinds is going to come through and get you, making it more more necessary to steal blinds later on uh, going through. But still, uh, play smart, play aggressive. Uh, starting stack of 50k and the blinds start at 100, 200. And we start six-handed, and we're playing. I'm playing basically. Uh, we play basically six to eight-handed the entire game, um, and until I make it to the final table where we get uh, ten-handed, a little bit of foreshadowing. But uh, I'm folding, folding, folding. Um, I defended a few, few, uh, few blinds here and there, but uh, nothing, nothing to write home about. And I, I don't rake a pot until about two hours into the session, which is pretty terrible as well. Uh, blinds get up to 200, 400. Uh, I get uh, ace-10 off under the gun, and I limp, so I uh, don't know why I decided to limp. I should have popped it to at least 1,000 there, maybe 1,100, but I did not. Uh, a few limpers behind me, nobody's going to repop, uh, and the button bumps it to, well, somebody did repop. The button bumped it to 2,500. I called with three other callers, so uh, quite a bit in the pot already. Flop is king, XX. It checks around. Uh, turn is king. Pairing the board uh, checks uh, to my left, and the guy bets 6K. I end up dropping it. He ended up bluffing off 16K on a Queen River. He was not long for this world. He was eliminated after about three or four rebuys, um, uh, and a button had tens uh, who won the hand. Uh, smart aggression uh, is the note that I gave to myself. And I just reminded that I eliminated somebody, and it was a bounty tournament, and I didn't turn that bounty in to get money back. Stupid me. Um, I'm sitting at, uh, after a couple blind plays and a couple, and that hand, I'm down to 44K, and the blinds are at 300 and 600, and I'm just sitting there hating life, um, folding, 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 and just, just constantly reminding myself, hey, be smart, be aggressive when you get a hand to play. So the blinds are up now to 600, 300. Mind you, I've played about five hands to this point, and the uh, blinds have gone up, so it's been over an hour. And I get red twos under the gun. So this just looks like gold to me. And I'm super, super happy to see the red twos. Uh, so I, I make it 15 to go, which is two and a half. Uh, Captain V-Pip, which is basically an old guy in his 70s. And he's basically almost in every hand. Re-raises me to 3K. Uh, Hollywood. Um, he's a guy that basically stalled on an obvious fold situation. 
Um, and just he just takes an inordinate amount of time with his decisions when he's decided, um, when he's put to a decision, with the exception of the very first hand of the game where he got stacked. Uh, he turned the nut straight and the board paired at the river. He called off his entire stack, and the old man, Captain V-Pip guy, had uh, tens full of fours. So that was the first hand those two played, and they've been basically uh, in uh, way too many hands, uh, but those are the two uh, opponents that I have. Um, so I ended up calling. So there's 9,000 in the pot pre. Flop is a 10, 8, deuce, rainbow. So money, money flop to me. And I am uh, going to check it. Old man checks. And then Hollywood bets out or leads out 60, bets out 6,500 in position. I end up calling and then the old man uh, calls. The turn is a 10. Um, I check again. Old man checks and Hollywood jams the remainder of his stack. So, which is about a pot size bet. I call with less uh, than uh, he has. And I should have, maybe this is the only time where I, I could have done anything different. I, maybe I should have Hollywood a little bit more. Old man uh, held on to his cards for a little while and then finally decided to fold. And he seemed like the kind of guy that would fold or would call in that situation. Maybe I should Hollywood. I'm not quite sure. But he ended up folding. The river was a two. Quack, 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 quack. Quads for me. He had a 10, so he had 10s full of twos. <laughs> Unlucky him. I'm up, uh, I double up my stack over 100K. Um, so the, the odds of rivering or getting quads on a river is one in like 121, which is very rare. 2% uh, chance. Uh, old man would flop uh, quads with a pocket sixes later on in the tournament. Uh, and the odds of that happening are one in over 400, which is less than like 1,000th of 1%. Which, uh, yeah, so uh, I got to see quads twice at my table. I was the benefactor of one set of that, and the old man was a benefactor of flopping it. So blinds are now up to 1,500. Three hands later, I have ace-king off in the button. Hooray for me. So great cards and great position. Uh, old man uh, from the previous hand, he raised it 4,500. Uh, and Hollywood, the same individual that uh, bluffed off his stack, is on his third rebuy calls i bump it to 16k from the button and then they both end up calling so that's a lot of money uh flop hits me uh, dead to the tracks king jack 10 with two clubs uh it checks to me i've ended up betting 20k which is about two-thirds pot bet half pot bet ish uh, and they both fold um round turn i get ace king off under the gun uh, great hands and shitty position i make it four thousand to go uh, I want to say the blinds had to have been up probably to uh, uh, 15 and 7. So that's a 2.5 or 2 and 2 thirds, 2.6 times uh, raise. Uh, tight player that hasn't been playing that many hands jams for less than 20K. I end up calling and he shows King 9 of Diamonds, no 9 on the run out, and now I'm up to 140K. So patience, uh, aggression, smart play uh, worked out. So now I'm. Uh, doing pretty good get sevens in middle position uh, Hollywood had a blind raise so they allow you to do that in this tournament um, so he was under the gun he did a blind raise to 4500 so he hadn't seen his cards yet folds to me and I'm not gonna play his style I'm just gonna make him pay for it uh, I raise it to 10k uh, old man from all the previous hands calls from the big blind and everybody else drops so it's me versus the old man flop is another money flop for me um, nine seven five uh, rainbow so I hit middle set Hua uh, old man bets out 10k and I'm in raising to 20 and he ends up calling me turn is a three uh, So he checks so I'm not I mean he flopped it if he has eight six he flopped it. So I don't know I, I, I'm definitely ahead here unless it's just a miracle eight six call, uh, for him uh, He checked it to me and I bet 25k and he ends up calling Rivers an ace, and so I think that's what kind of got him out of the out of the hand. He probably had king queen or maybe nine something, whatever the case is. But that ace definitely scared him. Uh, cost me some money because he checks, and I don't know whatever play to make here except for like a value bet is probably not going to do anything. So I'm trying to make it look like a bluff as best I can. So I end up jamming. Um, maybe he'll call it off. Maybe he won't. Uh, maybe a value bet is good here. I'm not quite sure, but he doesn't really understand pot sizing. So I don't think I think any bet he's going to fold to unless it's just extremely small. Um, and if it is, then I'll have to show my cards, so I don't know. And he ended up uh, uh, folding, and then basically everybody at the table is commenting on how few hand, many few hands I'm playing. So this is basically the ninth, eighth or ninth hand I've played, and probably the second or third hand where I'm the lead or the aggressor. 
So later, and this is three consecutive hands in a row, and I'm starting uh, around at the button. I get a king five of hearts on the button, and I call a min raise with two other colors. King five of suited is meager holdings at best, but in the position that I'm at and the image that I have, uh, nothing wrong with it. Um, flop is ace, five, eight, one heart, not the ace of hearts. So I got a pair with a back door. It checks to me. I'm in position and I make the play where nobody respects the money that you're putting out there because, you know, you're just betting because you have position. Um, so the 10K bet and then the Italian guy to my right, who's been very loose throughout the night, uh, calls. The turn is a nine. I end up betting 30K and he ends up calling me. River is a blank. Uh, he bets less than 10K, which is all in for him. And why did I call? Or I, I'm the guy that bet. He calls uh, with 10K less. So he's pot committed. Uh, he calls me, and he had 10-9 hearts. So he outgot me on the turn. Maybe I call with the fives. Who knows? Maybe I'm missing this up here. But uh, he had a pair of nines. He turned a better hand than I did. So my pot or my flop bet was correct. Um, so yeah, he just decided to be sticky. And he basically had... Nothing with a back door. So, yay for him. Off the flop. So, great great call, Mr. Italian guy. Is what it is. Very next hand, I have Jack Nine of Spades in the cutoff. Uh, I end up limping. Limpopotamus Rex, so dumb play. But five to the flop. Uh, Ace Jack X with one spade on the board. So, I have middle pair with a back door. Yay for me. Checks all the way to the button. Who does the exact same thing that I did. Uh, he bets 7K. So, there are now three callers. Uh, including me. So plenty of uh, Jack Jack X of the back door is definitely uh, uh, correct math to call there. Uh, turn is a blank, and it checks all the way around. So lucky for me, I get to see a river, and it is a nine completing two pair. It checks to me, and it's only the guy that was the pre-flop aggressor that's most likely going to check and not bet for value. So I bet 20K, and he ends up calling me with Ace X, which... Yay for me. That's a 20, 20K uh, profit from being sticky. So I'm a donkey. Yay for me. Uh, do, do, do. And we are headed to... Oh, sorry. The very next hand, I get Ace-King off in the hijack. I raise it pre and everybody else folds. And that was the last hand of the, uh, of the break, before the break. So I get the add-on. And I'm sitting at 300K, which is a pretty decent size stack in comparison to the blinds. Uh, 100 big blinds, to be honest. Uh, but the big blind Annie uh, does change things slightly. Going to make you want to want to go after those those blinds just a little bit better. Um, and then, so for the purposes of the podcast, every time the blinds are 3,000, 1,500, just there is a big blind Annie. So it's 3,000. So I'm putting 6,000 in if you're the big blind, 1,500 in if you're the small blind, and so on and so forth. So I get king five of clubs in the cutoff, uh, one limper, and I make it 12 to go. Um, old man calls from the previous hands, and then loose Italian guy with the 10-9 of hearts uh, that uh, called for no reason but hit the nine on the turn, calls. Uh, flop is 8-6-2 with two spades, so complete error for me. Um, it checks all the way around. Uh, turn is a four, so it gives me a gut shot to a seven. So if I spike a seven, so now I got some bluffing equity. It checks around to me again, and I bet 15K, and then the uh, loose Italian guy ends up calling me. Or, the, sorry, they both call. Um, River is an eight pair in the board, and pairing top pair. Uh, checks all the way around to me again, and then I bet 55K. Um, it does get through. Old man folds, and the Italian guy doesn't want to release his hand. He claims that I had ace-king. He wasn't far off, uh, but he ends up dropping it, which means he had nothing. It means he had, like, king-queen or... or uh, you know, Queen Jack or Queen Ten or, or whatever the case is. Ace-Queen off under the gun. Blinds are now 4,000, 2,000 with a 4,000 big blind ante. Uh, I raise it to 10. And then the big blind, um, the Italian guy, uh, ends up defending. And he's tilting from previous action because he's just getting murked. Um, he's playing uh, some aggressive guy back and forth. They have a lot of history. But he's been taking the, the wrong end of it. Uh, flop was uh, king 8 7 with two diamonds. Uh, he checks to me. I continue and then take it down. And now my stack is up to 370k. Um, and a big blind defend for me under the gun raised. Uh, and it was the 
uh, ace three guy from previous hands. He was a middle-aged German dude that took a tight passive approach to the game. Um, uh, he made it 15 to go, and old man calls, and then I call with uh, king six of hearts in the big blind. Flop is uh, king five seven. Uh, checks are, I check under the gun. Uh, the middle-aged German guy. He bet 25k. Old man folds, and I check. Or old man folds, and I call. Uh, and then we check it down. Uh, we check down a seven turn, and then uh, a five river. And the seven turn completed a flush, paired the board, so moot point. And then the five river double pairs the board. I check, and he decides to check ace king for some reason. Doesn't bet for value. And I'm now at 300k, and my king kicker does not compute. Uh, pretty quiet um, for quite a while, and then I get ace-ten of clubs in the small blind. Blinds are up into such a uh, fashion that I'm now uh, not too happy about my stack depth, but it is what it is. So uh, wild guy uh, takes a solid approach, but he's high pre preflop progression. He understands the concept of stealing blinds, so he's been doing it. He's probably been over more in more than half the hands uh, up to this point. Uh, that I can, like the last 10 to 12 hands, he's probably been in 6 to 7 of them. So he's been very loose pre. Uh, he raises it to 24k. So blinds have to be at 5,000, 10,000 right now. Uh, I make it 55 to go, and he ends up calling. Flop is 976 with a club. So I have a gut shot with two overs and a backdoor club draw. Uh, that's enough for me, and definitely being out of position. So I lead out for 70k. He jams me all in. And I got 150k left to play for 450, so why not? Um, that's I can't be I'm mathematically not bad here, so um, I definitely end up uh, uh, calling. Do do do. It runs out eight, which gives him the straight because he had jack ten, so I was definitely right to call there. And then the jack hits on the river to split it up. So all that fun for nothing. Uh, so great job on me actually knowing what's what situation I'm in, whatever's going on, yay for me. Blinds are now at uh, 15k, 7k with a 15k big blind ante. Uh, ace 10 off and king 10 off blind steals from the small blind and the button. So I raise uh, ace 10 off from the small blind and take it from tight passive guy. And then king 10 off, I take it from tight passive and knit, like plays basically the same style I do. Uh, ends up punting his stack off like I do later in the tournament. So basically, he's basically me. So it's me in the big line, which is somebody you want to play. And then it's a tight passive guy uh, in the small blind that somebody you want to play as well. So I end up stealing those two blinds. Uh, blinds now up to 20K, 10K, and I get queens under the gun. Lucky me. I make a 55 to go, and both the blinds call. Uh, it's still the Italian guy in the big blind, and then it was... Uh, basically tag or ABC, uh, big German dude. Uh, flop is nine, eight, six rainbow checks to me and I continue for 90 K take it down. Uh, and then I win a check down of the blinds with queen, th queen three offsuit against a tight passive guy. Yay for me. Uh, blind steal with King four clubs and the cutoff at five handed. So I raise with King four clubs, uh, from right of the button. It goes through. Yay. Plays you got to make. And then the final table breaks, so we're now at the final table, and we're back to 10-handed, so I don't have to be as aggressive. Uh, and I get about 15 to 20 hands in before I decide to go nuclear. Um, the one hand or one great play that I did make, I had about 300 or I had about 400k, uh, ace three off in the small blind, folds all the way to the button, who, uh, which was the big German dude, took a solid approach to the game, so it was most likely that he was on a steal. Um, if you get an ace in the small blind or big blind when the blinds are up like this and somebody's making a play on you most likely you're ahead so aggression pays off he made it 60k to go i got ace three so i put a third my a third of my stack in the middle uh, make it 150 to go and he ends up calling flop is four deuce jack rainbow so i have a uh, gut shot to the five for the wheel and there are worse flops for ace three offsuit um i jam out my uh, 200 to 300k and he ends, he ends up dropping it and now i'm sitting at 650k with blinds at 20 and 10. Uh, goes around a couple times, and then I get queen five of clubs in the big blind. So the blinds are at 15 and 30K. So I put in 60K. Um, folds around to another Italian dude that raises it to 70K. Um, he, was, he was playing tight, but semi... I don't know. I, I really didn't have a read on him. But 
the there was a dude that just lost like 80% of his stack. He jams in for less. So 70K cannot re-raise. I look up at Queen five of, five of Clubs. The money's there. So there's basically 70. So it's 40 to play for 150. So that's great math. So I, I put in the 40. And the flop is Club Club 9. So 9 Club Club. So great flop. I check. Italian guy bets 150K. So what do I do here? I'm not folding. So it's either call or jam. Um, and the jam was probably the decision to make. Jam was probably better. But uh, he probably would end up calling anyways. It is what it is. So I end up calling the 150. Turn is a blank. I check. He jams all in. Now there's way too much money out there. Um, queen may be good. So that's three outs. Flush is there. So that's nine. That's 12. That's 24%. So I'm one in, it's either one in three or one in four. I think it's one in three, uh, 24% to win the hand, uh, at best, uh, at worst, I'm still 18% to win the hand. So one in four, uh, so the money's there. It's basically 300 to play for 900 K. So, or one, 1 million, whatever that was. So I ended up calling off the rest of my money, probably a dumb play, who knows? Uh, but the, the club does not go. It was a jack of hearts on the river. So a queen would have won it. Um, a club would have won it. He had ace nine offsuit, uh, no club. Uh, the other guy had nine, eight or something like that. Um, uh, offsuit. So sad panda. I'm out in seventh place. So I get my money back. Yay for me. Uh, it is what it is. Meh. Sad panda. Um, could have finished better. Could have played tighter. Probably could have just dropped ace, ace uh, or the queen five of clubs. Pre, that probably was the uh, the right decision to make, but I did not. Finishing 7th out of 22 players with rebuy and bounty tournament and no rebuys for me and getting the add-on was a pretty good, uh, pretty good effort, but uh, technically finished in the money because I got my money back because a lot of people uh, rebought. Um, so is what it is, but uh, it's definitely a, a more strategic game than the one in uh, about an hour north of here. So... On to the next segment of the podcast. Seconds from my heart, I put it from the door. Helpless, I surrender. Shackled by your love, holding me like this. Poison on your lips. Only when it's over, the silence hits so hard. Cause it was almost love. It was almost love. It was almost love. It was almost love. When I heard all righty folks welcome to the sport rapport a lot to go on to not the doggiest days of summer as it has been uh, previously alluded to nba free agency so the big fish decided to go with the clippers Kawhi leonard and he actually got paul george to go with them so the clippers winning uh the lakers having to scramble and getting a bunch of uh, a bunch of their guys back that were on hold essentially because they were awaiting Kawhi's decision but leonard goes to la and yay for them so is what it is uh demarcus cousins signing with the lakers along with uh, rondo uh, spurs make a move and acquire carol don't even know who that is and Wiz get burnt hands in the trade in addition to the uh, clippers gave up five first round picks to get paul george over uh to them so sad panda uh OKC not really contender now because they just have Westbrook. Uh, Damian Lillard is basically stating that with recruiting, players have the power now. And apparently Kawhi was trying to get KD to join him in 
in Los Angeles. So, yeah. uh, Zion Williamson, no more summer league games for him as he has a bruised knee. So, no bueno. Don't want to hurt that kid. Don't want to hurt the first round uh, guy. So, uh, UFC 239, John Jones gets a split decision win over Santos. From all accounts, it was a snoozer, but the real big shocker was Masvidal basically putting uh, Ben Askren in the stratosphere. He just ran up in five seconds, did a flying knee, and put Askren on just, he was gone. Like, he was out. There was no lights left in the attic uh, when that happened. Uh, try Check it out on YouTube. Pretty insane. Uh, Holly Holm gets defeated by Emmanuel Nunez, um, and that's pretty much uh, the end of that one. So uh, who knows what's up for Jones next, Santos rematch. DC is not going to take that fight at heavyweight. That's not going to happen. He'll retire after Cormier, Miocic. Um, that that uh, heavyweight fight, I don't see DC winning against Miocic, Stipe, and then fighting John Jones at heavyweight. I don't, I don't see that. That would be a great fight. That's what Jones is talking about as well. Uh, but it is what it is. Apparently Santos hurt his Achilles or something in round two, and it was just basically a stalemate for the rest of the night. Uh, then Masvidal sent Askren into the stratosphere. So that's your UFC 239 recap. And the ML of Bs, uh, Yankees up in the American League East, 7.5 uh, over the Rays. Uh, Minnesota over Cleveland at 6.5. The gap is closing. And then Houston over Oakland at 7.5. The Rangers, 9 back, dropped their last two, uh, limping into the All-Star break. In the National League, Atlanta, 6 over the Nationals. Uh, Phillies, Six and a half back. They were in second last time I did a recap. Uh, the Cubs, a game or half game over the Brewers. St. Louis, two back. All teams in the Central within five of the lead, the division leading Chicago Cubs. And in the West, the Dodgers running away with it. Uh, 14 and a half over the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. And the Padres at 15 back. In the wildcard standings in the American League, Tampa has it by a half game, and then Cleveland uh, has the final wildcard spot, while Oakland is a game and a half back. In the National League, it is Washington that holds the spot, with, along with the Brewers, Philly a half game back, and St. Louis a game and a half back of that one. So still really tight wildcard races. It's uh, good that, uh, well, I mean, depending that you have that one game plan for the MLB, but uh, it's funny how game 163, one game decides 162-game season. Uh, and the illustrious World Series of Poker is on in full swing. They are now at day 2C. Uh, apparently, there was an earthquake. Uh, day 1C was kind of crazy. Two people got disqualified. One guy, like, threw chips at somebody uh, unprovoked. Uh, another guy went all in and showed his ass. Like, that was, okay, great. Um, there was an earthquake, uh, so yay. And then, okay, great. Uh, Phil Ivey was eliminated within the first hour. Um, notable eliminations in day uh, 2AB. Uh, Chris Ferguson, that piece of shit. Uh, Daniel Negreanu, Ryan Reese, Justin Bonomo, Stephen Chidwick, and Phil Galfond all eliminated in day two. Negreanu apparently laid down second, not flush uh, in a hand on day one. Uh, but it was uh, to no avail. Uh, Timothy Sue leads uh, day uh, 2AB with over 750,000 in chips. So, all right. Well, poker's not really a sport, but uh, it makes this the sports corner anyways. All right, folks, enjoy. Headed on to the other segments that they may be. So, who knows? I wish I could figure out better transitions, but I cannot. So, enjoy. so I did a lot of 
catching up on me old videos. I got to watch a lot of 60 Minutes, a couple of Frontline documentaries, so those will be the new segments that I cover. Um, one of the things that I watched was a, there's a, apparently there's a climate change court challenge in Oregon. Um, I always thought that was a goofy thing that you could run one thing up the courts and it could stop everything else. Uh, during Obama's tenure term, they would do it in Texas or the South. You'd see that all the time or in Utah. And now you see in the, I think it's the Ninth District, you hear about all the Supreme Court cases that come up. And this one in particular, there's like 23 people that are suing the U.S. government for climate change. And the U federal government is responsible and they need, to they need to start immediate action and stop everything that they're doing to help out with climate change. Uh, no mention in their plaint uh, or in their complaint about India or China or the world and why the federal government is responsible for the world and they had a couple of kids as plaintiffs for some reason which I thought was interesting to say the least they actually interviewed a 13 year old or an 11 year old one of the kids and they were asking him about it he was just kind of looking around and searching for the answers and like well what scripted line do I got to say about this or whatever the case is uh, but it was just it just it was an eye-rolling event uh, in addition there was an AR-15 segment where they wanna, went on and they had some herring footage uh, about the, the biggest shooter, Sandy Hook. Uh, uh, forget, the, forget the school. And, uh, well, there was the nightclub shooting in Orlando. And then the shooting in the Florida, uh, that one most recently. And they were talking about, and they, they did range tests against the 9mm, and then an AR-15, then an AR-15 high-velocity round. And they were just trying to make the case that nobody should own an AR-15 wasn't buying it they also did a segment on a Nuremberg lawyer it was actually the guy that uh, had prosecuted 22 or 23 uh, SS uh, leaders and he was the one that was tasked with he brought up an idea of doing this like hey we're gonna side him against crimes against humanity and he actually was the one that was tasked with doing it and then that was such a moving event for him that he has dedicated his life to like establishing the world court and then fighting injustices in the world. So that, that, that was a good, a good piece. Uh, they also did a frontline segment on the, the Bundy issue in Oregon where a bunch of, uh, cattle ranchers, he had gone out and grazed his cattle and there was a 20 plus year legal settlement settlement against for him and the federal government came to, uh, when it was all said and done, the courts had sided with the, the government. Bundy owed over a million dollars. So the Bureau of Land Management rolled in, rounded up his cattle. A bunch of uh, militias got together and uh, basically made the federal government back down. But then they took it too far, as a far a couple steps. And then they decided to roll down and like occupy a government building which I thought was a little bit too far but uh, yeah and then the Bundys got arrested because of the, all the 2014 stuff that they had done with the Bureau of Land Management not necessarily the uh, federal government building occupation and then they were released in 2018 so yay for them uh, another segment about opiates there was a lawyer that uh, ran down the tobacco industry ran down uh, something else and he was a, a lead oh yeah the BP oil spill he was a lead plaintiff and now he's working on getting uh, opiates out the way but he wasn't going after the manufacturer he was which uh, they showed the profits of the manufacturer were at two billion and I don't think it was profits I think it was revenue it would they were going after the dis distributors and the distributors had made over 208 billion dollars with a B in revenue or sorry yeah, revenues, and they wanted. Uh, he was making claims that I want a hundred billion to you know give back to the state, start programs X, Y, and Z. Uh, for them, looks kind of like a cash grab for the old sixty-seven-year-old lawyer that was running the show. Uh, and then another good, a good story on asylum seekers. There was this cat from Brazil decided to seek asylum in the United States, and whether or not you agree with uh, next country asylum, which is something I think is a good idea. The one thing I took away from it was that I didn't see any problems or issues, but why they wouldn't release him on his own recognizance and just put an ankle bracelet on him. But there were families that 
uh, came to the court and said, hey, we'll, we'll house them, we'll feed them, we'll do this, that, and the other. Just put an ankle bracelet on them and we'll hold them. So why don't people do that? Like that seems like a, a really good idea to me as far as like all these asylum seekers that were that are stuck in jails awaiting their time to be trialed and they're deemed a flight risk and they're held uh, or they're just held waiting for their court appointment or date. Just put an ankle bracelet on them and give them to a family that wants to house them, feed them, and, and do whatever, not on the government's dime. So they thought that was the best the best thing out of that asylum seekers um, issue. And then the census question was the last one. Apparently, uh, so the Supreme Court sided against the census question. Now there's going to be a uh, executive order, or they're thinking about doing an executive order to put the census on there. Um, I think that why the census question should not be on the census boggles my mind. It should be. You should, you should be able to answer if you're a citizen. The counter argument is it'll stop people from answering the census questions. Like, who cares? Like, if you if non citizens aren't going to answer answer the question, then federal funding is not going to go to the states that are housing the most illegal uh, non citizens, and the citizens that aren't paying taxes, siphoning off the government system and all of that fun stuff. So, um, census is extremely important because it gives seats to the house, it allocates federal funding, um, basically gives states a lot more power, redistricts everything, so on and so forth. So. The uh, the decade census in tw- coming up in 2020, I think should have the the question on it. I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't. But uh, Supreme Court struck it down, and the Trump administration is trying to figure out how they would do it. All right. Well, I'm going to do some transition music, and then we'll get into the actual news news. But that was me uh, watching, getting caught up on 60 Minutes, getting caught up on Frontline, and what I ran across and saw. All right. So besides all the fun frivolity on the 4th of July, which I hope everybody enjoyed, uh, the noise is going to be news. It's going to be kind of short, thank God, due to the fact that this will be the second podcast this week because of the holiday weekend, and instead of reading and keeping up uh, on the old news, uh, I I watched and caught up, as was alluded to earlier. Uh, Apparently a lot of people lost their lost their marbles in the uh, 4th of July celebrations. America's not supposed to do that. Durka Durka, all that other fun stuff. So we won't even get into that. Collages about how just you, you've seen them everywhere. How, how dumb news pundits are. Russia collusion. There, missed it. Trump's a dictator. Meh, missed it. There was a hilarious one where a lady walked up to... Uh, some protesters and were like, hey, impeach Trump. And everybody started celebrating. And then she started like, Mike Pence, Mike Pence, Mike Pence. And they all like, <laughs> they kind of realized they were being trolled there for a second. Uh, gerrymandered. So the Supreme Court being as fun as they normally are. Uh, and let's see what happens. On Thursday, the United States Supreme Court ruled that partisan gerrymandering is a non-justiciable issue, which that's a, what a coward way to, to go about it. Meaning, courts have no role to play in politics. Democrats assailed the Republicans on the Supreme Court as activists for not taking power for the court. And it's somewhat hilarious to realize that Democrats are complaining about or that a Republican-nominated Supreme Court majority refused to require or acquire power by which they could draw con- congressional districts. Democrats have used gerrymandering, as have Republicans, as a weapon against Republicans and vice versa for decades. The only reason Democrats are screaming now is because they lost so badly in 2010, giving Republicans the ability to draw congressional lines for the past decade. Prior to 2010, Democrats controlled most state legislatures and controlled Congress until the mid-90s. As the South Midwest slipped away, so did their abilities to draw lines. Then suddenly gerrymandering became a problem. That's true. Like, uh, It's not a problem until your side is losing. Many of the most famous redistricting cases have come from Democrat-drawn lines, much of the North Carolina gerrymandering in the past. 
decade involved Republicans fighting against the lines drawn by Democrats. In Georgia, until 2004, Democrats drew legislative lines. One congressional district curved around itself, and such a voter could jump from one side of that district to the other while soaring over a separate district. That's crazy. Some of these state legislative districts stretched across the entire state. Democrats were fine with all those things, just as they were fine with the Electoral College when it benefited them. And now there's actually a push to get rid of the Electoral College. I think there's 191 votes that are tied together now for some reason. Uh, a general rule of thumb in modern American politics is that anything Democrats perceive as a disadvantage is unfair and judge must fix it to benefit them. I would say the same for Republicans. Uh, their Supreme Court's refusal to get involved in their business of drawing legislative lines is just another outrage for Democrats. And a coward move, I think, by the uh, Supreme Court, but it is what it is. Uh, consider, however, the Democrat debates this past week. Only 18% of Americans favor abortion on demand until birth, but every single one of the Democrats supported it. Most Americans oppose gun confiscations, but many of the Democrats on stage advocated for exactly that. Illegal immigration a crime? Nope. Most Americans think it is, but most of the Democratic presidential candidates think it should not be. In fact, according to Gallup, more Americans now see immigration as a problem than climate change or health care. Of those, the overwhelming majority oppose open borders and increased illegal immigration. Democrats are yet again on the wrong side of the American people. This, then, is the core problem for Democrats. They are out of touch with most Americans. They have taken refuge in large coastal metropolitan areas and increasingly treat those who disagree with them with disdain. True. In fact, more and more research shows that well-educated progressives are the least likely to know anyone who sees the world differently from themselves. Conservatives tend to be more spread out across the country and encounter people who see the world differently from themselves. Progressives stay in their large cities and surrounded by groupthink and convinced of their own righteousness. It makes it easier for them to presume the worst about those who dissent from the progressivism, and it makes it easy for them to rail on the unfairness of a system that requires connecting to voters in a flyover country. But also, um, country bumpkins and righties are in their own little bubble, too. Uh, President Donald Trump is deeply unpopular president. His favorability rating on average hovers around 43%, which is not good headed into a re-election. But Trump also connects better with many people than Democrats can. He understands blue-collar America better than many of the Democrats with more blue-collar backgrounds. Uh, this translates well into areas of the country Democrats must win. Areas that are filled with Democrats seem to hold in contempt. For the last few years, Democrats have embraced the idea that all Trump voters are racist and bald, bad and bald, probably, uh, to win in 2020. However, they need some of those people to vote for them. Instead of complaining about the rules we've had for 200 years, rules under which Democrats were winning just eight years ago, perhaps they should try winning instead by making arguments and taking positions that connect with people outside of progressive coastal bubble. This is an opinion paper by Mr. Eric Erickson. So, yay for him. Uh, I would say that, yeah, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And it's like for a Supreme Court just to punt and that's their, that's their writing. That's what they're going to say. Okay. And why'd you take up the, why'd you take up the case? Maybe it was to reverse something. Not quite sure. Not too read up on that. There were two gerrymanderings and apparently I guess they just said no to uh, one of them. Speaking of Mr. Trumpkins, a, uh, interesting story from CNN Politics. Uh, diplomatic cables from the UK, but who cares? Like, why does anybody care what the UK ambassador thinks? But here we go. A leak could cause serious diplomatic damage between the two special relationship allies. Uh, with foreign envoys of all nations are often candid and classified dispatches back home, there are periodic episodes and such assessments leaks, when such assessments leak, causing great political embarrassment. Months of efforts by the ambassador, Sir Kim Darak, and his diplomats to build ties and trust with the Trump and his political acolytes will be undermined. Uh, the cables were leaked and first published by the Daily Mail. Darak used secret cables and briefing notes to warn the UK government that Trump's career could end in disgrace and uh, describe conflicts within the White House as knife fights. A uh, UK government source told memos or described uh, are genuine. The Daily Mail says the memo span a period between... Why is CNN reporting on the Daily Mail? Uh, that's dumb. Why don't they just do their own reporting? Uh, da -da -da -da. Memos between 2017 and present day covering everything from Trump's foreign policy to his 2020 re-election plans. And one memo dated June 22nd, according to uh, Dark, uh, Dark questioned Trump's claim that he pulled back from retaliating against Iran after the downing of a U.S. drone because the president was told at the last minute that 
uh, U.S. airstrikes could kill 150 Iranians, which I think it's really dumb that the Iranians shot down a drone of ours and we did nothing to counter it back. Uh, he also said in a cable to the Foreign Commonwealth Office that while he believed uh, Trump can't afford to lose much support, he thinks there's still a credible path for his reelection. The White House told uh, CNN has no comment on the story. The leaked cables come at a sensitive time in uh, UK politics with the conservative uh, party members currently electing a new prime minister to succeed Theresa May, who was effectively toppled by her own members of parliament for failing to deliver on our country's 2016 vote to leave the European Union. The British public would expect our ambassadors to provide ministers with honest, unvarnished assessments of the politics in our country. Their views are not necessarily the views of ministers or indeed the government, but we pay them to be candid, just as the U.S. ambassadors here will send us the reading of Westminster's politics and personalities, a statement from the British FCO said. Of course, we'd expect such advice to be handled by ministers and civil servants the right way, and it's important that our ambassadors can offer their advice and for it to remain confidential. Our team in Washington have strong relations with the White House, and no doubt these will withstand such mischievous behavior. The statement continued. The favor for the job, Boris Johnson has seemed likely to seek to forge a much closer relationship, basically as the UK Trump, uh, than May did, who has made strenuous efforts to court the president and developed a respectful relationship and never really bonded with him politically. If it leaves the EU, Britain will be seeking to seal a bilateral trade deal with the United States, and Trump is expected to die, drive a hard bargain. So there will be speculation with the leak of Dark's memos of a politically motivated act by someone in London to clear space in Washington for an outspokenly pro-Brexit ambassador. Okay. Uh, Derek used his work as a national security advisor for former British Prime Minister David Cameron and a top UK representative to the EU. Also, though he's a career diplomat, he is not seen as a philosophically aligned with a crowd of hardcore Brexiteers expected to take over 10 Downing Street. Johnson is unpredictable, politically incorrect, a populist, and deeply critical of the EU, and is often accused of blurring facts, traits which he shares with Trump. So the Trump, basically Boris Johnson, or whatever the hell his first name is, Johnson is the, the UK's Trump. At least that's what I associate him with. Uh, there's no far, there's so far no reaction from the president on his Twitter feed, but Trump has never felt constrained by criticizing the British government. Several times he has embarrassed May after criticizing her handling of Brexit negotiations. He plunged into British internal affairs in June by opening reading for various conservative candidates and the leadership elections and has waged a long-running feud with London's mayor, Sadiq Khan, which he's an idiot. Uh, he's doing the same thing in London that's running down Los Angeles, San Francisco, Austin. Uh, apparently there was a big uh, thing in San Francisco, a festival or a trade or a convention or something that's leaving the, the city of San Francisco due to the uh, poor... Uh, uh, the poor condition of the streets or the area where the convention would, would have been held. Uh, Darek had been riding high on the successes of Trump's trip to the UK in June, which largely went off without a hitch. His position with the Trump administration, however, now looks difficult at best. Through his memos are deep, though his memos are deeply sensitive given the source, the unflattering depiction of a Trump White House is one that will be recognizable to readers of U.S. media outlets. So, interesting stuff. Interesting, interesting. Uh, earthquakes in California as well. Uh, there was one on July 4th, and there was one on July 6th, which was bigger than the one on July 4th. Um, I actually went through an earthquake one time. Uh, I was there for Fukushima Daiichi. So I was down about 200 miles south of that earthquake, and it was crazy. So I was sitting in my... I'll never forget the moment. I was sitting in my car, and the car started shaking. So I was like, oh, damn it. My, my engine's dying. But all of a sudden, I saw a pole whomping back and forth just like like some giant was shaking it looked up the buildings were swaying like uh it was it's pretty uh pretty insane and the it felt like the road was shaking and it was nuts so something i will never 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 forget so i'm sure those people in uh california las vegas uh, area will not as well uh the death of tv I don't know why I cited that, but we will, we shall see. Uh, can CNN's ratings really drop any further? Hint, yes, 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 they can. And that's why it's the death of TV. Everything's dropping, but uh, CNN seems to be dropping worse than all others. So it stands the reasons that a cable station that spends most of its time hitting on Trump would soar in the ratings. No siree. Uh, CNN plunged to 15th place in primetime over the last three months, losing nearly 20% of its viewership. 
in the process. The stats are shrinking when one compares CNN to Fox News. Fox has 2.4 million primetime viewers. CNN, just over three quarters of a million. Total day numbers, Fox 1.32 million. CNN, just over half a million. Those numbers equate to a 2% drop for Fox, but a whopping 18% plunge for CNN, but drops all around. Uh, the best-rated show was Cuomo Primetime, which came in at 25 but fell short of a million viewers at 936,000. Anderson Cooper, sir, Cooper drew just under 900,000. And Don Lemon, Jesus Christ, how can 833,000 people watch him? Jake Tapper, just under 700,000. Meanwhile, Miss Maddow uh, at MSNBC have plunged. Thank God. The liberal hostess pushed the Russia-Trump collusion thing for two years, but her special counsel, Robert Mueller, report said there was insufficient evidence to prove the charge. Mano's show suffered its worst ratings since Trump took office, losing half a million viewers, Fox News reported. There appears to be a direct connection to the Mueller report, which was released April 18th on the first quarter of 2019. Mano averaged 3.1 million viewers each night, but in May she averaged just 2.6, which is still a huge amount of people. Mano lost nearly half a million viewers for her first episode following the release of Barr's letter. Fox reported then she plummeted 13% in April compared to the same month in 2018. According to TV Newser, falling behind Turco, the Tuckster in the process, May, she averaged 2.6 million, her worst month since Trump took office. And a far cry come the 3.1 million viewers she averaged during the first quarter of 2019. Conservatives who once appeared regularly on the show have been let go, with one complaining that it's now the Hate Trump Network. Most of us got squeezed out involuntarily. Jack Kingston, a former Georgia congressman who appeared on the network, told Mediate, I was there for two years. I was certainly willing to continue. It was clear to me that at the end of the Republicans, they prefer anti-Trump Republicans. The network had also canned economic analysis or analyst Stephen Moore after Trump said he was going to nominate him for a serve on the Federal Reserve Board. CNN and other outlets reported about old comments Mr. Moore made about women and President Obama and his wife, Michelle, and Moore, which he was named for in consideration. Moore wasn't happy. CNN is the hate Trump network. Uh, they just trash Trump every hour of every day, and all they talk about of two years of the special counsel Robert Mueller report and how bad it does to make them look, and it's proved nothing. After Mueller's, Mueller's highly anticipated report on alleged collusion between Trump and Russia came in when April with a whimper, CNN's primetime ratings plunged 26% from the same period in 2018. CNN suffered the lowest rated month in viewers since October 2015, according to Neeson or Nielsen. Media research rating, CNN had just over three-quarters of a million average primetime viewers, down from just under a million in April 2018. That's uh, The markets are speaking. Thank God. Get, shut up, CNN, please. Or just stop stop being there. Don't support CNN. Whatever. Uh, OEN's not too bad, actually. Kooky right, but, but not too bad. And in the good news story of the week... Or the bad news story of the week, probably. New court ruling could strip, <laughs> lol, uh, bikini baristas from their right to serve coffee while scantily clad. And I think this is a government overreach, to be honest. Uh, women at, well, they should be able to serve. Uh, women at coffee shop chain, Hellbilly Hotties, made it a cover up for following on a Wednesday federal appeals court ruling, according to the New York Post. In 2017, a judge ruled that the bikini baristas would still be permitted to serve in semi-nude despite a lawsuit over the chain's dress code. The group of women sued the city of Everett, Washington on September 2017. That's probably why I've never seen this place. Claiming that the demure dress code would violate their First Amendment rights to free expression. The newspaper reported that three judge panel in the U.S. Ninth Circuit, there they are again, Court of Appeals reversed the initial 2070 decision that prevented the city of Everett, Washington from imposing a more conservative dress code. Wednesday's ruling revealed that wearing a skimpy attire, including pasties or a drawstring, the post said does not fall under free speech as protected by the First Amendment. Yovana Edge, one of the company's co-founders and owners, told the outlet that she was planning to appeal the ruling. So did the Ninth Circuit. So I think, yeah, way to go, Ninth Circuit. You guys suck. On uh, August 2017, the local city council and the Ninth Circuit is the same court that's running that climate change shit up a flagpole. And listen, I mean, it's getting hotter. It's getting hotter out there, isn't it? Is it not getting hotter? Can we not let these ladies work in the desired outfit that they, they want to? Then in the same, in the same thing, somebody can go into Hooters, tell them they can't wear this stuff. In August 2017, the local city council passed the ordinances regarding the dress code of scantily clad women, 
One of the ordinances required employees at a quick service eateries to wear at least a tank top and shorts while working. Well, it could be a health code violation, but then why do they serve food at strip clubs? In 2009, authorities busted several women who were employed at such coffee stands and charged them with indecent exposure and prostitution. Jesus Christ. Also reported that employee baristas also reported charged customers high dollar amounts for erotic shows and even allowed some of the customers to fondle them. Well, that's uh, it's getting a little bit dicey. At the time, assistant coffee or assistant attorney Ramsey Rammerman said, this, that's not a real word or a real name. This is not about being offended by people wearing bikinis. Some of these stands had the characteristics of a poorly run strip club and trying to enforce standards under the previous law was simply ineffective. Dun, dun, dun. So the plot thickens. So it's not just a like barista coffee stand. It's more like a you know coffee and strip or whatever the case is. So, all right, that is your news. I'm trying to get Menchaca to do a conversation with me, but it looks like he's going to, He's gonna, he's gonna delay or postpone or whatever the case is. So uh, we'll get him on there. We will. He is a enlightened young man, and I appreciate and enjoy the conversations that I have with him. Enjoy the rest of your week. I will talk to you later. Bye bye. To Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills And put your helmet on Ground control to Major Tom Seven Sing countdown engines on Check ignition and may God's love be with you Thank you.